When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. People often assume that leaders must have acquired years of experience, but sometimes leadership comes naturally. When you work for a football club, you've got a responsibility to a lot of people, not just employees, but supporters. We had a stroke of luck as well, because at some point, somebody decided to go to the darts in fancy dress. You build an identity for the sport, and the identity that we've got now is such that the show is the appeal. If you surround yourself with good people, you will improve. The pressures on you will be shared and we'll get different ideas and different perspectives and you'll be able to produce more. Welcome to Beyond the Balance Sheet Season 2, the podcast where we talk to business owners who show that financial metrics aren't the only measures of success. I'm Ashley Bloom and I'm your host. This week, I talked to Matt Porter, Chief Executive of the PDC, Director of Matchroom and former CEO of Leighton Orient Football Club. In this episode, Matt and I discuss how they transform the stereotypes of a very stale industry and what it's like to take on a leadership role at such a young age. I hope you enjoyed the interview and I'll be back at the end. Matt, welcome to Beyond the Balance Sheet. Between yourself and the team at the PDC and some obviously big darts personalities, you've quite literally transformed the sport of darts and the other sports that you've been working on as well. But you've kind of changed the perceptions of the industries as a whole, snooker darts. You've you've kind of flipped them on their head and kicked this episode off. I'd just love to hear who you are, what you do, why you do it. Nice to see you, Ashley. It's, um, thanks for having me on. My name is Matt Porter. I've been the chief executive of the PDC since 2008 and I've worked for the parent company Matchroom, Matchroom Sports since 2001. We're quite well known through our our leading lights, Barry Hearn, the founder, and Eddie Hearn, his son, who's obviously got very high prominence now, especially in in the boxing world. And our other two major sports are our darts and snooker, as you mentioned, where we run and own the professional circuit, so the Professional Darts Corporation and the World Snooker Tour. So I've had other roles in the in the business. I was chief executive at Leighton Orient when we when we were the majority shareholders at the football club, and, and I've worked on some of the other events. But the darts has been something that I've worked on for pretty much 15 years in total, and it's something that has, as you say, undergone a massive transformation. And I think the main reason for that is can be quite simply described as it gives people what they want i think there's a lot of products out there that don't necessarily cater for what their audience or their market wants they tend to give the audience or the market what they want to give them and then ask the audience or the market to like that instead of doing it the other way around so we may be the cart before the horse or whatever the phrase is and and do it that way 
and that's actually how you learn as well because by reacting to that you can then evolve your product and that's kind of how we've got to where we are today and obviously I dipped my toes into the darts industry for a couple of years which is how we met and I know that even in the two years I worked there there was a huge transformation even things as simple as you guys making the decision to lose the walk-on girls from live events and little things like that so I know that it kind of doesn't stop changing you are so reactive to listening to what the audience and what your fans want which is exactly what it's all about but I feel like we can't have this interview without touching on the impact of COVID on the entertainment sector as a whole. With darts, what makes it such an incredible sport to watch is the atmosphere itself. And I know that you've worked tirelessly to get that atmosphere to where it is. So with that in mind, how did the pandemic impact the PDC and Matchroom and what were the biggest challenges that you faced? It was pretty brutal because it kind of came about overnight. I remember writing a statement that we issued in early March just saying we've got no plans to cancel anything, business as usual, see you all next week sort of thing. And we'd gone from being at an event in early March where we were kind of messing about, oh, should we shake hands or let's not shake hands with each other? About 10 days later, we were at the Echo Arena in Liverpool and we'd sold 7,500 tickets and the actual number that clicked through that night was less than 5,000, which is just unprecedented. You know, you'd normally get a maximum of 5% no-shows. So about a third of the people not turn up and it was eerie in there that night. You know, people were looking at each other shiftily, almost like, have you got it? Have you got it? I don't want to get it off you, you know, and... Nobody had a clue what it was or, or what it could do or anything like that, really, other than it would come in from wherever and it was something that we were all getting going to get scared of. And then we did an event that weekend, which wasn't for fans, but was for, for our tour players. And a lot of them were overseas players. And overnight on the Saturday, about 20, 30 of them messaged our tournament director and said, we're going home because otherwise we won't be able to get home on Monday. The flights are all being called. And we ended up with a situation where it was just bizarre. There was, you know, people were playing who didn't want to be there. Other people had gone home. We drafted in reserves who were literally people we dragged in off the street. You know, it was it was just the weirdest thing. And we said, no, we have to take a break here. At the time, that was sort of at mid-March. At the time, we thought six weeks or so, we'll be back up and running again. And we, we took we deliberately took an opposite view to a lot of other major sports organisations who immediately pulled everything they had that year. And okay, they were proven right. So what we said was, okay, let's do it one step at a time. We'll pull next month. And then in a month's time, we'll pull the month after that. And then we'll see if we can rearrange May into October or something like that to always give us options. You've always got to give yourself an out ball. You know, once, once you come out and say, right, that's it, we've scrapped everything for the rest of the year, then you've scrapped everything for the rest of the year then. And as I say, I, I totally accept they were proven right and we had to do the same thing in the end. But I think the fact that we gave ourselves that flexibility was was a good thing and something that I would definitely do again. So we, we had to evolve the product into something that was obviously not just first for TV, but exclusively for TV. Yeah. And we're fortunate in that darts, although it's obviously based, as you mentioned, hugely around the atmosphere that the live crowd generate, it's a very good TV product as well. And a, and a TV product that you can actually deliver without a live crowd as we, as we've proven, you know, people have developed the technology for the augmented sound and, you know, different camera angles and ways to sort of cheat it, if you like. So we evolved that with Sky and ITV, our broadcast partners. 
we had support from like 90% of our sponsors who were excellent, just saying, look, we'll stick with you. You know, you've delivered us, delivered us good times and we'll, we'll, we'll stand with you through this period. Um, we obviously contacted all ticket holders and deferred their, their bookings till 2021. So we're now hoping we can fulfill those in the second half of this year. But the biggest challenges came around putting on the behind closed doors events with things like quarantine issues for international players, testing, social distancing protocols. We had to prove to DCMS that we had a rule in place. Every sport has had to have a sporting sanction in place if players deliberately breach. So you had to show you were taking it seriously and and deal with local licensing authorities. And it's just mounds and mounds and mounds of paperwork that nobody from the Prime Minister downwards has ever had to deal with before. So it wasn't like you were you were writing something and someone went, yeah, but in two years ago, somebody else said that and that didn't work. Nobody knew. Nobody knew, you know. So we were writing this thing. We, we'll do this. We won't do this. We'll do this on Tuesday. Then on Wednesday, we'll do that. And it was really trial and error. There's a lot of common sense involved, but also a lot of hope. So here we are sort of 12 months on. Revenue was destroyed through no ticket sales. And we're hoping to get that back shortly in the next couple of months, hopefully, as we as we sit here now in mid-April. So we'll see how that we'll see how that goes. But hopefully by you know, by the end of this year, at the latest, we'll be back to what we would call normal. Yeah, I mean, just imagine the atmosphere. Ali Pali, World Dutch Championships in the winter, and after the years that everybody has had and had to endure, I mean, hopefully the kind of the uptake to participate and come to some of these events is going to be so significant. Yeah, but, you know, there is that element that thinks, how nervous will people be? You know, I mean, if I said to you now, okay, tomorrow night you're going into a, a packed nightclub or a crowded pub or a theatre or whatever, it would take your brain a little bit of time to readjust to that because we've had so long without it now, you know. And at first you might you might think, yeah, great, I can't wait to get back out into that. Then you'll step in there and you'll just think, oh, am I right? Is this, am, am I all right in here? You know, and it might take you five minutes or five drinks or whatever it is to, to think, oh, I'm OK here. This is what I've done for the rest of my life and, and whatever. But hopefully, I, th- I think the evidence, there's some music promoters who've gone on sale with festivals and stuff for late summer and concert promoters and stuff. who have done the same sort of thing where they've got standing. They haven't got to worry too much about working out social distancing floor plans and stuff. For us with seating, we've got to do that. So that's quite difficult. So we, we've deliberately not rushed out on sale with things until we know what capacity we can have. But the, but the early indication from those people is that ticket sales are, are strong. People have got, like you said, that appetite to get back out there. It's just overcoming that first hurdle, going to that first event, experiencing that live packed crowd again. And, and having the confidence within yourself that everything is okay. And I do think anxiety is going to have a huge part to play, but I also think there's potential for your market to change a little bit in that there is that younger audience, that more kind of carefree audience who are going to be looking to participate in these sorts of events. Yeah. So if you can, you know, be targeted with your advertising to that younger generation and show them what a blast they can have, plus it is tables and obviously whilst the capacity is something to consider there is something in that kind of table service environment that people feel more comfortable with than the stand-up crowd environment I know that for me knowing that when I'm in a pub it's going to be table service at some point or outside or whatever it is makes me feel more comfortable than the idea of going to stand-up 
concert. And so I, I think it's good, definitely going to be an interesting time for you guys. So I, I should say we all had what we had before for a long time. Yeah. And that's kind of ingrained in us, you know. It so is. I think that in those initial nerves will, will quickly be overcome. I can't stand the phrase, and I never use it, new normal. You know, it's going to be a step back to where we want to be. It's just how long those that ladder takes to climb, I think. Definitely. And the entertainment industry, hospitality, retail, they are the sectors and they are the industries that bring everyone together and make you feel part of something bigger than just you on your own in your house in lockdown. And I think there is that element of of unity that will be an amazing feeling above anything else when you kind of re-enter these sorts of events. I want to talk about you, age 26, becoming Chief Executive of Leighton Orient, because you were obviously one of the youngest Chief Executives in English football, I believe. So do you think age matters when it comes to leadership positions and senior roles? Because... At 26 years old, you know, some people are recently out of uni at 26, still kind of living it up. How did you find that your age factored into how people saw you when you were in that position? Well, I think I was very fortunate in that my boss, Barry Hearn, has always been someone who's given opportunities to young people, whether they're young boxers or young chief executives or whatever, you know. So I think that was fortunate and not something that perhaps is should be taken as read across everywhere, you know. Um but it definitely had an impact. There was definitely a, a challenge to gain respect, and rightly so, because I was out of my depth at the start. You know, I, some people might still say I am, but, you know, I think time time hopefully proves the, the opposite. But, you know, the point is that you're put in a position where you either sink or swim, and you have to grasp that. And it, it, for me, it went beyond a job. It just became a lifestyle because I had to prove to myself that I was capable of doing that. I had to ensure that I didn't let Barry down by being good enough to do that. And also, when you work for a football club, you've got a responsibility to a lot of people, not just employees, but supporters, you know. And football fans can be pretty brutal. They don't, they're not bothered if you're 26 or 260. If you're no good, they'll tell you about it, you know. So it was it was a, a, an amazing opportunity to be to be put in charge of the football club that I've always supported at that age. I remember standing, we played Bradford City away. And if we'd have lost, we'd have pretty much got relegated. And you're watching the match thinking, which two members of staff were going to make redundant on Monday? We've only got eight members of staff. You can't buy that. The experience that you get from being given that opportunity at that age, you, you, I don't think you can buy that. You know, that's that's a, 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 a unique um, position to be in. It's one of those things that I think would be daunting for anyone. But as you said, you had a mentor in Barry and other members of the team that guided you through and gave you the support and the encouragement and the self-belief to know that you could do it. So you obviously work really closely with Barry. Would you say that he has been essentially a mentor to you. And how important do you think having a mentor like him is in the world of business for people in any role? Yeah, I think it's absolutely essential. And that's exactly what he has been. Over time, when I look back on it now, I see how he's transitioned me from someone where maybe at the start he was telling me everything he wanted me to do and this, that and the other, to now where, you know, it's the other way around. I tell him what we're going to do. And, and very rarely will he pass comment other than, okay, go for it. He likes to be challenged. He doesn't just want a sycophant, you know, and I think I think when he's got that respect for you and when any when anyone's got that respect for you, they, would, they won't have a problem with being challenged. You know, I think if, if somebody just insists on it always being their way all the time, then that's a weakness and, and shows an insecurity. There's been a, definitely been over time at first – 
maybe it'll give you an inch of rope, then a foot of rope, then a yard of rope, then as much rope as you like, you know, and let you make a thousand pound mistake, then a five thousand pound mistake, then it might say you can't make any more mistakes because that. <laughs> but, but you see what yeah. I mean? It's it's that it's that progress, and I think as well that person's got to take something out of it. You know, I mentioned about young boxers but the same applies in darts and snooker and all, all the other sports and across our business where young people are given opportunities and, and it works the other way as well because if you surround yourself with good people you will improve the pressures on you will be shared and you'll get different ideas and different perspectives and you'll be able to produce more one of the one of the earliest lessons I sort of learned myself was that you've got to delegate you know, I went into a role as chief executive of a football club and I wasn't, I didn't have a legal background. I didn't have a business background. I didn't have an accountancy background. You know, I was a, I was a media guy. I was a journalist, local radio, press officer. I thought to myself, right, I'm not going to be able to sit around the table and talk about a balance sheet or, you know, talk about a business plan on day one. I'm just not going to be able to do it. So how am I going to be able to get people on side? And the way I, could, I thought I'm going to do that is man management. I wanted to manage people in a way that made them want make would make them want to work for me want to like me respect me never ask them to do a job that you wouldn't do yourself you know never ask them to work an hour you wouldn't work yourself or you know all of that that kind of ethos uh, and then you get rewarded for, by so by having good staff around you it is that strength rather than rather than worrying about oh I've given I, I'd rather do that myself I've given that to him to do or her to do that for me was a, a really important thing to take on early on and I, I think that's an important lesson doesn't matter what industry you're in you've got to put good people around you and not be frightened to give them responsibility definitely I mean they say as well you should always surround yourself with people that are more talented than you when you're in a position of so they leadership, make you look good, right? don't they? They make exactly. you look good. Exactly. <laughs> and I think, but I think you definitely have to get to a certain point, get, like have that level of confidence in yourself that you're happy to bring someone in knowing that whilst you could do the job, they can do that job a lot better yeah. than you. Yeah. And yeah. once yeah. you've got that sort of self-confidence, almost that level of ego that allows you to bring someone in that is absolutely kick-ass, it factors into who you bring on ultimately. But I think having the right culture and the right management style is so important because you kind of have to bring that that confidence out of someone. As you said, Barry allowed you to kind of disagree with him, challenge him. And you've also got to kind of bring that out of your team, don't you? As you said, you don't want people that are just going to agree with no, everything you say. No one, yes, no one not nodders, you know, that's, yeah. that's the last one. And I, I think as well, leadership is a lot of the time it's a bit like a game of chess in terms of you're just moving the pieces around the work is being done by people in dedicated roles whether they're you know i don't know in my industry say commercial production media digital whatever they you know they've got very vertical roles a lot of the time they're, they're, they're very specific you're sitting on top of all of that and you've got to make sure that a is talking to b and c is working well with d and he's doing it on time and f is you know f is aware of what everyone else is doing you know so you move those pieces around and you maybe sometimes and this might i don't know if i'll express this right you maybe don't always do a lot of the actual work yourself you make sure that the work is being done and being coordinated and you're directing the strategy and making sure that your vision and what you want to achieve is being carried out by those excellent people that you've surrounded yourself with and that's really great delegation and a great leader because you do see in a lot of situations business owners that 
are wearing all of the hats themselves. I think it's quite common that business owners and people in leadership do wear too many hats and I don't even think they realise they're doing it. And just talking more about obviously the company that you're involved with. So let's go for darts in particular, the stereotype types of the darts world. Yeah. And that it was really a sport for men in pubs, getting drunk. When I joined the darts industry four years ago, five years ago, I didn't realise how massive the market was. I just had no connection to it at all before entering the industry. And I can safely say now that I've remained a fan of the sport. But the stereotype was definitely stale, male, pubs. And you've basically transformed that. How did you manage to make that transformation? And was it a humongous challenge? Like, how did you begin to tackle changing the perceptions of a sport as a whole? Well, I think... I mean, as you say, you know, the, the days of the players of being on stage, drinking pints, smoking fags, that had probably evolved itself out anyway, just through the way that society was. That wasn't accepted anymore. And once you got into the, the mid-90s and through to the 2000s and stuff, that, that was just old-fashioned. Yeah. Then it was still in backstreet, small-town venues, without any real thought on the occasion. Sport has evolved with social media now. Big sporting events have become Instagram destinations. Yeah. You know, people want to post a picture. Look, where here's my ticket. Here I am. I'm having a great time. And I look cool dressed as a Smurf. You know, that, <laughs> that's what people want to that's that what people cool. want to that's what people want to post. Everybody knows about Alexandra Palace at Christmas. People know about the Premier League darts coming to the big arena near them, and you know, and then different people. Once you go deeper into the sport, different people have have got their their favourite events, and they've they've all evolved in different ways. Really, Blackpool's a little bit more traditional, and then different events in different countries have a, a you know different slants on them, whether in Germany, Ireland, Holland, or whatever. So it, it's important for events to have an identity, but underneath that identity has to be something that that people know they're going to relate to. So. We knew that the TV product was our biggest advert. So if we got the TV product right, then people would see that and aspire to go to it. So we're fortunate in, you know, particularly Sky have been with us a long, long time, but ITV as well, who have now, you know, into their second decade with us. It was important to make sure that the packaging of the event was that was going into people's homes was right and make it a case where you, you text your mate, you know, and say, doesn't that look good? Let's go to that. Yeah. That was a, a really sort of key feature. And actually, when we go around the world now, Australia, we're going to Madison Square Garden for the first time. We've been in Japan, South Africa, Dubai, Shanghai, wherever. It's the same product that we deliver. With a little regional twist, if if needed, whatever that may be, but ultimately the same product because that's what people have seen on TV and what they want to be part of. We had a stroke of luck as well because at some point somebody decided to go to the darts in fancy dress. That was a stroke of luck, was it? Well, we don't know who it was, where <laughs> it was, but at some point somebody thought, "I'm going to the darts in fancy dress," and and that was like a forest fire that just took off. You know, yeah, now no. Sure. Most of the dance at Ali Pali in particular, not in fancy dress, you know. And it's it, when you talk about you, you build an identity for the sport, and the identity that we've got now is such that the show is the appeal. The great thing about the darts is it could be Michael Van Gerwen against Gerwin Price in the final. People might have a favourite, but nobody really, really cares. Who yeah, wins. for sure. Nobody's, it's not like football where half the crowd are going home upset because their team's lost. You just don't get that. And so you have to get the overall product right. And we're lucky in that respect that 
the product is what counts. You know, if you took the boxing, for example, the boxing's built on the personalities of the two main fighters of that night. That's why people buy a ticket. You know, with the darts, we sell out before we even tell people who's playing. Yeah, sure. You know, pretty rare that. It's, I think it's probably only us and Wimbledon tennis that can do that. What you said about getting the product exactly right and... It, it really does apply to pretty much every industry because if you get your product absolutely right and you nail it for who that target audience is, it will fly. But the element of it being Instagrammable is such an important thing nowadays because in any industry, if your product is really Instagrammable, you want to have that on your story, whatever it is, then just the sales go up, you drive up revenue. And I think a lot of businesses don't do that. No, they don't. And, and it changes your demographic as well. It gives you a younger demographic, gives you more a higher percentage of female fans, followers, people who are interested. You know, we know from our research, and it's very important as well, behind all the fun and the jokes about Smurfs and everything like that is a massive engine that, that, that gives us so much data so much analytics, so much knowledge about what our product actually is. We're not sort of just guessing or assuming. We use an agency called Two Circles, who are the leading sports data agency in this country, and, and they analyse all the data from our ticket sales. They've, they've told us in the past, we should take events to this town because you're over-indexing in terms of darts fans in this town. We've gone there and sold more tickets. From a business point of view, that kind of information is sensational, you know, rather than just well, where should we go with this event? You get a return when you when you invest in that in that sort of thing. And going back to what I, was, what I started talking about, that our analytics shows us that over the last decade, our fan base has grown from ten percent female to nearly thirty percent female. Yeah, which is great. You could talk about Fallon Sherrick. You know, she obviously had a big impact when she won on stage at the World Championship eighteen months ago or so. Whenever it was. I mean, I had a big impact at that event as well because I held up a sign that said "Strong Independent Woman" and I spelt "independent" wrong. Because <laughs> I was so drunk, and Sky decided to plus that with a crossed out A all over their <laughs> social media channels. So, I mean, I was I would say that I probably had a similar impact to Fallon well, that year as well. Yeah, yeah, but it was noticed, wasn't it? It was noticed. <laughs> so, you know, there was nothing wrong with it. You know, the point is that if you appeal to a different demographic, you're going to what you're going to broaden your customer base. And you're going to change the perception of your product in the market. I would imagine 20, 25 years ago, if you'd have done a straw poll on the high street of women and said, do you want to go to the darts? Absolutely You would have almost got none. Whereas if you did it now, you're not going to get all of them, but you would get either women who say, and you wouldn't get the same with men either, by the way, but I'm just using women as because of the growth. But you would say, you'd get a large number who'd say yes. But as importantly you'd get a large number who would say, oh, I know what that is. I've seen that on TV. I've never really thought about it, but maybe I would. Mm -hmm. Which is important as opposed to, oh, no, no, what, Eric Bristow and John Lowe on stage smoking and drinking pints. You know, it's like it's not 1981 anymore. So, and that always takes time. You're never going to do that overnight. For us, that's been a generational switch from the mid-90s, I would say, through to where we are today, which is, is, is an entire generation. While we're talking about female demographic, there's also been... A more of an increase on female darts participation in general for the sport as well because was it a couple of years ago you reopened up the qualifiers to women to qualify for the world championships have all of those decisions been made to engage with your female demographic more and to make them see it as a sport that they could potentially enjoy or have those decisions been made for other reasons with getting rid of the walk-on girls we just felt it had had its time the product evolves we just felt 
it was done at a time when they added to the show and then it got to a point where they weren't really adding to the show and the show had, had left them behind. And we still have the dancing girls at some of the bigger shows. Yeah, exactly. We feel that they're more impactful. There's, there's different things that we do that over time will fade away as, as much as something else comes in to, to replace them. I think it is an evolution. And, and with, with female players, the sport's always been open to females to play alongside males. And it's quite unique in that respect in that, that darts is probably about the most democratic sport you can get. In terms of barriers to entry, there's almost none. It's affordable. You don't need a lot of space. You don't need a scholarship or an academy. You don't need a privileged background. A 10-year-old boy can play a match against his 90-year-old great-grandmother. There aren't many other sports where that can happen. It's, I think that's an asset to us. And so although we, we are encouraging more women players, it's not with a view to segregating at the elite. At grassroots and sort of lower, elite, lower levels, we will have women-only tournaments to get them in, get them playing more often, more competitively into a better standard. And then when they progress up to the level that Fallon Sherrick and in particular Lisa Ashton as well, who's a tour yeah. card holder, I mean, she's, she's a genuine professional. When you get to the level that they reach, then they're in with the men. And Lisa's beaten, and Fallon has, you know, as you've seen, they've both beaten plenty of men. And Dieter Hedman, you know, there's plenty yeah. of other players who, who can beat men. And I think as well, whilst you can do, you guys can do your bit, it's also for the brands, the product manufacturers and that sort of thing, to do their bit as well. Because the sponsorship opportunities in terms of for women and men, it is different. There is a lot less sponsorship for the female players than there are for the male players. When they have got sponsorship, they get a lot less support than the male players. I think it's for everybody across the industry to come together. I know that, um, you know, a lot of the female players were still working full time and having to dedicate to doing it on the side. I think there are kind of other elements of the industry that probably still need to push forward. Yeah. And it, again, it, as much as I appreciate that the sort of women's sports movement wants it to happen overnight. Just by definition, it can't happen overnight. It's hard to say to people, be patient, but it's coming. But if you take a five-year view on where we are now compared to where we were five years ago, and then you plant that into five years' time, you can see how it will evolve in the same way that, you know, we reposition the overall perception of darts. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. 
Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. You've obviously, as you've been in leadership roles from a very young age, but what do you think truly, truly makes a good leader? You mentioned the art of delegation surrounding yourself by people who are, if anything, more talented than you. What else do you think makes somebody a good leader? I think open-mindedness and objectivity are very important. You need to be able to see something from somebody else's point of view. You know, you can't just be single-minded. When I say single-minded, you need to be single-mindedly ambitious or determined, but you can't just be single-focused. You need to be able to look at it from all angles and and make a considered decision. Yeah. And COVID's a good example uh, of that. You know, it's very easy to make a knee-jerk statement, a knee-jerk reaction, but step back, consider it, count to 10, sleep on it, whatever you need to do, whatever works for you, make it that you make one decision and you make it right rather than have to make a decision and then change it because you rushed or you you weren't in possession of all the facts. That leads me on really nicely to my next question, which is obviously you work in the sports events industry, which means that there are events pre-COVID, the calendar year for you guys is crazy. There's event after event after event, which must mean that for somebody like you, you're all over the place. And I know that you are here, there and everywhere. How do you manage to maintain a healthy work-life balance in such a hectic industry? You can't always. Is you know, I, first personally speaking, you can't. You've come home late because you've been at work and you've still got work to do. And if you're doing stuff with people in different time zones, you've got calls at stupid o'clock. And then it's the weekend and you can't do this because you're going away. And there the needs to be a reward for it. And you do change as you mature as well. I mean, I'm 41 now. And in my sort of 20s and 30s, it was all bang, 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 bang. Get on a plane, go to a hotel. Where can you go? What are you going to do? Squeeze this in. I've got to miss that, but I'll do it next week, whatever. You know, and then when you get a little bit older, you do get that sense of perspective. And you put people in, when we talk about the strength of the team around you, you put people in positions who can be what you were 10, 15, 20 years ago. You know, people who can do 24-7, who will miss their best mate's wedding because we've got an event on that weekend or don't care that their girlfriend's going to dump them because they've got an event that they really want to go to in wherever, you know. It's just the way it's just the way it is. You can't say, oh, I'm going to put this off till next week. Because the event's gone. So why haven't you done it? You know, so that's really good in some ways because it teaches you discipline, but it can be really challenging in other ways in that it forces you to to make sacrifices and, and to and to miss things or, or avoid things, you know. In a couple of the podcast episodes that I've been doing, something that's come up quite often is imposter syndrome. And I imagine you had that a lot more when you were probably in your 20s as a yeah, right. CEO yeah. of whatever than you do now. But for a lot of our listeners who have kind of, struck gold and they're now in a great position or they've started a side hustle that's now gone full-time crazy because they launched it in COVID in exactly the right moment or whatever it is. How do you, what would be your advice in overcoming the feeling of imposter syndrome? That can be difficult, you know, particularly if you are young or particularly maybe if you're female or from a background where there's not that many of you in that world. That relies on strength of character. It relies on you having someone who you can bounce things off. It relies on you maybe having somewhere you can turn, even if it's just something you, you know, a phrase or something in the back of your mind, 
someone you want to do it for, you know, all, all of those sort of things. It, it, that There's a lot of mental strength that goes into that. And the chances are if you're in that position anyway, you have got some, a, a pretty strong level of mental resilience because otherwise you probably wouldn't have climbed the ladder to, to that level, whether it's self, self-inflicted or, or, or been given to you. So, you know, I, I would certainly say that there's, you know, there's mental strength, trust in your judgment and just doing what you think is, is right but if necessary, having bounced it off, checked it, thought about it with somebody, with somebody else just for that reassurance if you need it. But actually as well, a lot of the time you will only learn by making a mistake. So just make sure that that mistake isn't too costly and learn from it and move on. Definitely. And I think a lot of people say that the best mistakes they make are the ones that really made them sit back and think, I cannot do that again, because they have learned so much from that mistake and it's transformed their business ultimately. So it goes without saying, Matt, that you're obviously incredibly successful in what you do. You've grown through what the projects you've been working on incredibly quickly. You're chief executive director of Matchroom. So what is it that you would say is your business superpower? What is it that you do that nobody else does? I make people want to work for me. That is the single most important thing. You know, I can't pretend that I would graduate from Harvard Business College with the the best mark or that I would complete a finance course with my eyes closed or that I could go and be a a barrister or anything like that. I I can't pretend that. But I can tell you that if you can read a situation and you can read the people who are in that situation and you can work out how to move that situation forward then you will make more right decisions than wrong decisions. And that's ultimately how you will be judged. So for, for me, I think it is important to, you know, when you talk about that imposter syndrome, if, you, if you're not from a background where you feel that you have a, a right or you belong or whatever in, in, in the, the seat that you're sat in, don't worry about that and focus instead on what you do well, because what you do well is what will take you forward. Let's not pretend if you don't do it well enough or you don't do it well enough often enough, You won't move forward, but that's okay because you'll find the level at which you can do well and at which you can operate. But for, you know, for other people, when you're prepared to make sacrifices and when you're prepared to do do things you believe in and have people around you who you know will deliver for you and back you, then, you know, you will get more right than you'll get wrong. Amazing piece of advice. So obviously, as you know, this podcast is called Beyond the Balance Sheet and it's all about proving that financial metrics aren't the only measures of success. What does success to a business mean to you? So, I mean, to us, public perception is very important. You know, we're a very public facing company. We're reliant on ticket sales. We're reliant on broadcast deals. We're reliant on sponsors. And those three stakeholders don't come to the table unless they feel that there's, you know, there's there's a product worth investing in. So, you know, it's actually quite straightforward to gauge our success beyond profit. You know, those three factors lead to increased profit. But sometimes as well, you know, we might we might take a decision to go into a new market and we might make a loss because of the costs involved in that. But if we know we've had a good reception there, then that's okay. So I think for, for us, it's relatively straightforward in terms of gauging the perception of the business and the, how that grows in terms of volume and, and things like that year on year. Definitely. And lastly, what's next for you guys? What's next immediately is getting back to normal. You know, hopefully that will be completed by, you know, by the autumn at the latest. And then it's back to, you know, to our plan to continue taking darts global, really. You know, we, we were obviously at a point in the UK where the market is, we deliver a lot of content to the market. 
We do the same across Western Europe, the Netherlands and Germany, but there's new markets for us, Asia, Australia, America, Scandinavia. And we're fortunate in that darts is played all around the world. It's just not necessarily professional all around the world. So there's always a base level of understanding of what the sport is. It's just then taking that onto the next level. So back on the aeroplane and uh, fingers crossed, that's the plan for the next few fingers years. Fingers crossed. Perfect. Thanks very much for joining us today, Matt. If you liked this episode, go and have a listen to the rest of the series in series one. We are Raffingers and you can find us on Instagram, Twitter and LinkedIn at Raffingers. Alternatively, you can check out our website www.raffingers.co.uk. I have been your host, Ashley Bloom, and this has been Beyond the Balance Sheet. Thanks for listening and we'll have another episode for you next week. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.